Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. Recently, I was asked by the Boston Chapter of Entrepreneurs Organization to host their podcast. That podcast is called Leadership in Action. Check it out. Here is an episode that I recently hosted. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome to another episode of Leadership in Action, the EO Boston Chapter podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, a change agent. He has co-founded and founded several startups in media, e-commerce, and telecommunications in multiple countries, resulting in three, three successful exits. He currently finds himself as a mentor to startups, an entrepreneur, and an angel investor, managing partner and co-founder of Venture Lane Studio, and a member of EO Boston since 2016. May I introduce Christian Magal? How are you, Christian? Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on your, on your podcast, Mark. Very looking forward to it. Super, super honored to have you. Ready for question number one? Absolutely. Let's keep, do keep this. <laughs> Let's do it. What is a common misconception about leadership, running a business, and being an entrepreneur? So that made me think quite a bit about it because, you know, what is a misconception? And the one thing that really popped in my head is um, actually the con that, that something that I learned a lot about it being an EO member. And that is, it's not necessarily all about yourself and that vulnerability actually opens so many gates to great leadership that you would not uh, understand if you're still standing in front of the door with that kind of perception. So over time, I, I understood that being vulnerable and being, you know, not being the perfect and not being always the front man and not always, uh, you know, trying to be the forceful leader, but being vulnerable, uh, passing it on to the team, hearing them out, if you getting the feedback actually makes you a much better leader, but more importantly, makes the company and what you're building there, the organization, a much better organization. But it seems counterintuitive because everybody around you tells you you need to be forceful, strong, energetic, and and the contrary is the is the case in my experience. The more vulnerable you get and the more open you get, also with the stuff that you're not okay with, the better your company gets because it allows everybody to play the best role and not just one person taking all the roles. But who's telling you? that you need to be out there energetic and not vulnerable and the face and the pushing forward and do it all person. But here, here's the thing, most likely you're gonna tell yourself, right? It's the limiting belief of you gotta, you gotta pull the carriage, you, you know, it's on your shoulders. Like if you don't do it, nobody else will do it. Nobody will do it as good as you do it. Nobody knows this better than you. And I have not seen a single situation where somebody else couldn't add on at least a couple percentage of a better outcome when you do this as a team and in a group play. 
So help me understand that. So adding somebody in, right? So we're hearing delegation, right? So we have the entrepreneur who I'll, I'll just do it myself. I'll do it. I'll get it done. It'll, it'll be faster than explaining how to do it. But <clears throat> help us explain that when you add somebody on and take something away, like where is the metrics on that? Um, so, so first of all, I think everybody if you believe that everybody needs to play to their strength, um, there's 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 hundred percent certainty that you not only have strength, but there is better sides and weaker sides that you have. If you play to your strength, uh, there's 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 weaker sides. If you have if other people have their strength in that weaker side, you know, all together as a as a team, you will do better. The and frankly, by the way, you. Who could, who could be these people? I've seen it play out from an intern uh, that says, hey, I have a great idea here. Why don't we do it this way to, to your co-founder, right? And over time, you know, you find your balance and you, you, you're open to this. But um, I found being vulnerable and being even open with the team of like, listen, I feel uncomfortable here or this is not for me or I hate to do this, but I'm doing it. Uh, opened up the door to so many com to so many uh, com uh, conversations around. Well, well, why didn't you say something? Like I, I could do this. I I've done that before, or I know I uh, this is my strength. I'm a very structured person, for example. Um, and it, and that made the whole thing better. That that person feels better about themselves because they can take on uh, a task that before they were not entrusted with makes me feel better because I don't need to suck at something where every where where every, where I think I need to be really great at and maybe I'm not. So it's to your point, I think it's many times a self uh telling us we need to do this and it's a limiting belief. <clears throat> so that's really interesting. And one of the things I, I thought of while you were saying that is the hesitation that I've had in the past, right? I hate doing this. Well, why do I hate doing it? But if I hate doing it, how could I dump that on somebody else, right? But maybe it fits them better. So here's the thing. We did a great exercise. One, we we did like the whole team um, did like, what am I doing right now with my week? So what are the, the chunks that I'm doing, what I'm responsible for? And then what do I like doing more of? And what do I like to do less of? And everybody in the team did this uh, prep and came back in the session. And we went person by person. We went through this exercise. And while we had this communication and everybody was very open and also vulnerable, but like, I, I don't want to do, I want to do less of, I know this is my job, but I want to do less of. People chimed in, hey, I can help you there. Or I would like to do this. Uh, or I found a way to do this very efficiently. And even in the session, just speaking it out, like there were already swapping of roles and responsibilities going on. Um, and that I find like a really awesome uh, environment that you, because that also means your, your, your team has your back, but also people see the chance that they can climb up the ladder and, and grow into something that they haven't done yet. So I think this is a terribly uh, liberating exercise. So even, so lead by example, right? So leader is vulnerable. Let's get in a circle and be vulnerable because I know there's a lot of folks who go to work and protect what they're doing, right? They want yeah. to protect their work products, but even if they don't like it, even if it's square peg, 
round hole, it's theirs and they own it. You're asking them to, to trust, right? To trust that we like you, you're going to stay, but we'd rather you do something that you enjoy doing because you'll do better yeah. for it. No, absolutely. And you know, I, I we talk about it a little bit later, but like we're working a lot with entrepreneurs and startup entrepreneurs, like dozens and hundreds of them. And you know, you're the leader, you're the head of the organization. People will mimic your behavior. And if you're closing up and if you're not vulnerable, your team most likely will have a challenge at being vulnerable because it, they feel it's not accepted. Uh, but it, it, it's, think of vulnerability as a part of a language and part of a communication. You can openly talk about the good and the bad stuff. If you only talk about the good stuff, you know, the bad stuff is not taken care of. On the other hand, if you only take, talk about the bad stuff, it's probably also not a healthy environment. But if everybody can trust each other and be totally open with, I don't like that, or I'm not good at this, anybody else here, um, I think that, that that's a great value to the team and where you need to where you need to be as an entrepreneur and have a support system as an entrepreneur. But at that point, if you're offloading something, you have to onload something in exchange, right? As a team or no, 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 no I, I, I do not. I, 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 I follow the philosophy. I need to fire myself. My job is to start things as an entrepreneur, but that's just, just personally my, my opinion. I'm starting the things I'm getting them on, on track. And then I'm firing myself from that job. That doesn't necessarily mean that I need to take something else on. If I still want to grow, maybe I do that. Uh, but sometimes it's also maybe that opens up half a day a week where I can take care of completely different stuff or something that interests me. So I, to your point, Mark, absolutely right. I thought is, well, if I'm getting rid of something, then I need to prove everybody that I take on something else, but that's not smart and that's not clever. Uh, because in the end, it's about what kind of impact and result are you getting and not whether you keep yourself busy and show everybody that you're keeping yourself busy. Busy for the sake of busy is, is for me, is not a result uh, or a, a, something that you want to strive for. I love that. Th you know, and thank you for bringing such clarity to that. We all evolve as, as business owners and entrepreneurs and leaders, right? So you had three separate events that let, let's, we could dig into it as much as you want each one of those events. We could do an executive summary, but I'm curious where you started to learn these things through your evolution as, as a entrepreneur. Oh, frankly. Um, so my, my story was like, I always wanted to, I loved fast paced environments and I loved like, I, I, I was more like a op operations guy. Um, and you know, my, 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 I didn't grow up in like a super entrepreneurial environment. So I always wanted to understand all the building blocks for building a company and started off after school, you know, as a junior product manager in a, in a media company, but that was already in a, you know, newly started, uh, venture like at the time. And it, you know, 27 years later, I, I realized like I literally worked throughout my life in startup environments. So I learned that, that trade of getting responsibility early on and, and living with, uh, you know, risky environments and quick changes and pivots and stuff like that. I always, it always energized me and always, I always loved it. Um, I had a couple of, and then, 
you know, I, I, I was an employee, then I became an executive. And then over time I became a co-founder and then I became a founder. And every time I, I kind of learned a little bit of like what to do when you're a, when you're an executive, I think you're, you learn how to manage people and, and, and learn how to deal with teams. I think that's, that's where I learned how to lead and, and how to get that right as a co-founder you're, you're, you're seeing more dimensions. Like as a VP, for example, you would probably look at your little department as a co-founder, all of a sudden you look at the whole thing, um, as a, as if you're the founder, then all of a sudden you're becoming the CEO and, and this is not just being responsible for the whole thing, but you're leading the whole thing. So all of this was, uh, a great journey from working in the business to working on the business. And that was probably one of my hardest learning that I that I learned in my in the last company that we did an IPO it was a telecommunication company that we IPO'd in Sydney, Australia. And uh, I realized at some point that I can come back and you know start in the you know working in the nitty gritty again with everybody, or I can learn to re be remote or take a step back. And and work on the business, meaning setting KPIs, setting goals, setting metrics, and manage those metrics like a shareholder, more so than a boss uh, or like an operational boss. And that was the hardest thing because it, I needed to accept that other people have different ideas on, for example, executing campaigns and operational things. And the the easy way that I said, like, okay. If that bears the results that we that we that we said we want to achieve, then that's okay. And if not, then we need to have a conversation about the how. But I'm not getting involved in the how. We're talking about the what and the achievement of the what. And that was for me that was a big step, understanding what's in the business versus uh, on the business. So tell us about what you're doing now with the young entrepreneurs and your mentoring. So, so my, my background is, as you said, like I, I, I've been a, I've been a multi-time founder, um, in the tech space and I really enjoyed that, that experience. So the last two companies, we got to about $300 million in sales, uh, each of them and had a, had a good exit. And, you know, I worked with like very talented and, and great and smart co-founders, uh, alongside. Um, and, um, I had one big goal and that was, uh, one of my big goals was financial freedom and the last exit kind of really provided me with that. And, uh, you know, I'm married to a, to a Boston girl, we were in Sydney and we, we, you know, we have three kids. So it was all of a sudden I was in a situation where for the first time I could completely choose everything that I wanted, like where to live, what to do, which by the way is, is a really tough, tough, uh, choice to make because before you always like, oh, well, you know, you should do this or you're good at that. And there's some rail, uh, uh or guardrails here. And, and this one, it was a little bit, a little bit difficult. So we decided as a family that we wanted to come move from Sydney to Boston where my wife, my wife grew up and we had family. But I had no connection here to the business world. I knew that Boston would be a great startup hub. It's a great town. I've been here many times. Feel feel also at home. So I knew that. But I had no business connections or network here. 
and I des I decided to st I wanted to give back support, be a change agent, as you said at the very beginning. For I'm, I I found out I'm really good at change and managing change and putting structures in place and being an entrepreneur and and at that early stage, and uh, coming here to Boston, we I decided like I wanted to build a platform um, and like a place a physical place where founders would come together and we we give them a support system. So we started VentureLane as a startup hub for early stage B2B software companies here in Boston. And Boston is a phenomenal ecosystem for tech companies. I don't know if you all know, this is like the fourth largest in the world. We're about four to 6,000 startups here, some in life sciences, some in tech. And we focused on that, that part and we opened up a 10,000 square foot space uh, down here in, in downtown crossing and and we invited the right companies in here so it was a curated space and we wanted to make an impact on those companies with support peer-to-peer -peer support uh, mentorship um, uh, programs and all of that stuff and that gave well first of all that was very satisfying uh, in two respects of uh, meeting the ecosystem here and get to to, to learn what everybody's doing here but on the on the other hand, really, we saw that we could really make a difference uh, for those companies. Uh, so how did so, how did these how did these companies find you? How did you find them? How does that work? Oh, different. Like some some we would do cold outreach, some would be inbound, some would be referrals. Frankly, it was all, all usually there would always be some touch of somebody knowing us, or we knew, knew them. We do a lot of events, you know, we have a webinar series, we have workshops that we put out there. We did by now probably about 500 workshops that we uh, partially did for the public. During Corona, you know, it took us two days after the lockdown, we put out a whole new program that was all remote. So yeah, we built our, our database from zero to, you know, 15,000 individuals and probably around, you know, two or 3,000 organizations. So we, we, I'm a, I'm a marketer, so that I learned that, and we built this uh, step by step. By now, we have 50 plus companies here at Venturelane being members, and then at the beginning of this year, uh, we we started uh, Venturelane Studio, uh, which is an accelerator program, a traction accelerator for uh, B2B software companies. Where we help these companies with mostly traction, go to market, revenue, uh, sales, marketing. Uh, help them also along with uh, their operating system. In short, putting the building blocks together that you need as a force to, uh, to be a scalable company, first a repeatable, and then a scalable, and then an investable company. And we invest our time and invest a uh, hundred thousand dollar check in into those into those companies. So we do that now twice a year, and we have, you know, about ten companies a year that we do this with, which is incredibly satisfying because we can i can be an operator again we can we can be a support system for those founders and we can let them figure out the the number one key success factor for for an early stage startup is that is getting traction and 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 getting the feedback from the market on your product on your organization on your setup on your strategy and you know it it's it's been a wonderful ride and we just actually just finished uh, the application for our for a second cohort, so that is filled, and the next one will come out in in uh, March uh, two thousand twenty three. What so, do you mean by co second cohort? Is that a second location? Second so no, a second cohort. So we do uh, two cohorts uh, 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 a year, uh, each four to six companies. So we submitted 
the 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 next four companies for this cohort, and then we start preparing for the next cohort group of companies that we would admit into the program. Got it. How many years would you have saved if you had jumped in there in the beginning as a as a member of of something an incubator type like this? Um, you mean how how many years I would save for myself? Yeah, if you if you were starting out as a founder and found yourself with you as a mentor, right? Somebody like you oh, willing to do this, like oh, what... I, I I literally think so. There's two bits. There's a time frame. Yeah. I I think we probably save, depending on business type and founder, somewhere between six months and two years. Um, I would say. And that's one bit. And the other one is, I think, we increase your chance of success and to survive in general. So the one is time saving that always assumes that you're still going to be successful just with a time lag. Um, I think we're in early stage, you're doing that. But the more crucial one is obviously, you know, will you survive this and how well will you survive and do you get the right resources be it the right team be it the right support be it funding uh to do your next step and can you outpace your competitors and i think we're we're it's hard to put a number at it but i would say we significantly increase uh your your chance to survive by having the building blocks in place that you need as a company later on anyway and to do this early on, you got to be very metric driven. You're going to be very focus driven. Many of the Boston uh, EOS uh, members might might know Traction, which is a which is one uh, operating system. We do OKRs and a bit of a different version that's better for uh, tech startups that need to be very nimble and need to pivot uh, quite easily. Uh, but yeah, those two things we save you time. Uh, we uh, we make your success rate for survival uh, much higher, and and all the things that are needed to actually uh, to actually prove this and and make it successful. Fundraising, you know, certain milestones and so on. So you obviously make the introductions or or to investors or venture or what have you when there's the next event. When do you realize this isn't working? So, so this is an interesting thing. Um, it is part of the journey and built in, it will not work. Right. There, I have not seen a single startup where everything worked. And here's the thing. It's not a matter of it working or not working. Actually, you want it to not work, but it should need, it needs to come quick. It is, can you measure so how quick get do you get to the realization it's not working? Right. If it's not working, you actually tried something new. If everything is working, most likely you've never tried something truly new and that you're uncomfortable with and 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 took the risk. So most likely you will fail at subsets of what you assume is right. But here's the the magic is not to not fail. The magic is to realize really quickly that it's failing and the the way and you asked how do we figure that out we put a tight uh, uh, number of kpis and metrics around what we're aiming for and let's say you know we want to get 10 customers by that point of time 
And that means we need to talk to a hundred customers here to get to the 10 customers there. And we see, we never get to the hundred. We're always getting stuck at 20 or 30 because they're not advancing and we have the right process in place. We see this approach is not working. And for example, we need to change the product uh, from this to that. And then let's try again and let's get those hundred in and get to the 10, for example. Uh, and it, it's that. Uh, people run out of money because they're doing the wrong thing for too long of time. People do not fail by making mistakes. That is profound. They don't fail because they're making mistakes. They're doing something wrong for too long. And how many of us have done that? I mean, we could talk about employees, keeping an employee for too long. How much does it cost you for not oh, yeah. ripping that Band-Aid off faster? Right. Yeah. So let's and talk it's, about it's the, it's the measuring part and it's the it's the real realization. Then the doing it and the pivoting is a whole different thing. It is the set up the metrics that actually show you something is not going right. And you need a change agent, a change director to help you see that and say, no, not a big deal. We're going this way now. Exactly. Exactly. And that's you. Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. And right. I, you know, I, I, we play that role and, but we're medium, right? So we're, it's not our opinion here is that we're giving you feedback. And sometimes you know that you've seen that as an entrepreneur, you need to have a character trait that is called call it positivity, positive thinking, naivete to a point. And if you're not, and if you're looking in hindsight, would you have done this? If you had known how hard it is, I would say in a lot of times you wouldn't have started if you knew that it's hard. But your optimism keeps you doing stuff. But optimism, believing, or in other terms, believing your own bullshit can work in your favor, but it also can work against you. And if you, if you believe your own bullshit for too long of a time, you know, it doesn't work in your favor because you have scarce resources and those resources get less and less and less money, time, whatever it is. Um, and then, and then you're hit a wall because there's nothing left. So it, it's, it's that, it's that fine balance between those two. So you mentioned an intern, sometimes the intern raises their hand and changes the trajectory of the company. I assume a lot of the members of your incubator venture are younger folks. Help me understand the mind of that younger generation when it comes to change and flushing a bad idea and moving on. That's the funny thing. So we have a good mix between serial entrepreneurs, sometimes folks that are a little like, you know, in their, maybe in their forties, even, uh, they maybe have a technical background and not a sales background and therefore they're reaching out to us. Um, and they're kind of juniors in that area, but they're a little bit more set in their ways of what to do. I, I, you know, I have to say I'm in awe of, of a generation that a 25 year old would say, I'm going to build a company. I'm going to raise millions of dollars and I'm 25 years, 25 years old. And I probably would have not, I could have not done it back at the time. Um, you know, back at the time it was still, well, you know, you need to earn your merits and you need to get a little bit of experience and all of that. And maybe an investor would have not given you the money back at the time. So I think that the the younger generation so think of everybody between 20 and 35 
these days has a built-in, um, uh, not everybody, uh, uh, the people that want to be entrepreneurs, they bring with them a, a really great um, uh, attitude of taking risk because they've seen it so many times with other playing out. You know, you have a role model, you're, you're, you're what, what was maybe back at the time of perceived risk today becomes like, well, you failed, that's okay. Or you're taking that risk, that's okay. Maybe you do it until you're 25 and then, then you decide. So um, that's awesome. The times have never been better of having a mentor, having a coach. I mean, you're coming to Boston that opened my eyes of the support system that is out there these days is amazing. For every founder, there's probably five people that would like to support you in your journey for nothing many times or being a being a being a just a coach or being an investor maybe so there's a great opportunity these days and the other thing is you know when i started as a as an entrepreneur you needed to build your product from scratch today you can build this product in a month or two by just putting together some a patchwork and building blocks of tech and you can have a, a functioning website so but this generation has a good knack of trying things out failing, repeating, pivoting, and resilience. I'm in awe on like how resilient some of these guys are that going through a, a second or third pivot and still believe what they're doing and still finding their way and building great companies. So I have to say like that, that is probably the best entrepreneurial generation that we had <laughs> so far. I love it. I love what I'm seeing with these bright, fresh minds. And I love how some of these seasoned companies are really engaging with the bright young minds and saying, no, no, come here, let's go get in, get in the boardroom. Hey, let's whiteboard this thing. Let's workshop this. Your idea hasn't been stifled yet. You haven't uh, experienced imposter syndrome. You haven't experienced someone saying you can't do this yet. So open up your mind and let's, let's hear some of the stuff that comes out of your mouth and let's, and let's you've seen this, right, Mark. So you, you probably had this, this experience of like, if you let them and they come in with obviously the right bones, you know, it, it's amazing what they can do. And just because it's your own story that you didn't do it at 25, that doesn't mean that somebody else can't do it. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And when we were 25, it wasn't that long ago. For those watching on YouTube, maybe you'll agree it has been a long time, but those who are listening, most of you are listening, you don't know. Uh, but back at 25, was that available? You know, was there a Christian Miguel out there saying, come, 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 the water's warm. You know, we were digging in and trying to figure it out and reading books and patching it together. Was that environment there? And if it was, I missed it. But for now, like, how do we let these young minds, these courageous founders find folks like you? I mean, there, there are a lot of programs out there. I think the universities do a much better job uh, these days. You know, um, Boston has a, <laughs> a specific history of letting oh, some of the biggest fish uh, fishes off the hook, uh, you know, think of Bill Gates and, and uh, you know, Facebook and a bunch of others that you know, were great founders and they've been in the uh, uh, great Boston universities here and they still went to the Valley. I think that kind of changes a little bit these days after Corona or after COVID anyway. Um, 
how do you find people? I think uh, there's a lot of nurturing. So, um, people go through phases here. They might start with an idea. It might be a bad idea and then it becomes a better idea and then it becomes a good idea. Maybe at some point it gets a great idea and sometimes it takes some time. Um, it's about its ecosystem players like VentureLane, uh, the space that we do here. It's it's like our accelerator. There's a, there's a bunch of great accelerators here in Boston, but also in the U.S. There's university systems uh, that do an, a bunch of really great players. Um, uh, that 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 really fertilize that ground and and really put the seeds in, and you know it's it's also a number game numbers game. Um, I'm I'm uh, mentoring at Harvard iLabs. The last class is six hundred people. Wow, like six hundred, and I think it's uh, out of those six hundred, I think it's it's close to four hundred or five hundred different companies. So and some are super early stage, like they just had an idea and want to want to want to want to put this out there um but you know it needs that but that you know out of those 600 there's maybe 50 get funding and maybe 10 make it big every year uh, but that's that's fine uh, for everyone that makes it or for everyone that doesn't make it that founder has probably great experience a great experience and that great experience is maybe well suited to be a number two or number three in one of those startups or maybe a VP or something at a, at a later stage. So that is not lost uh, at all. So how do we find this? I think there's a lot of offers out there. And I only, by the way, not only for aid or giving somebody uh, equity, there's a lot of pro bono support out there. And look at your environment, your alumni, your, 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 your school, there's, there's, if you're a mentor, reach out to those. If you're a coach, um, by the way, if you feel like you want to support any of this, reach out to me. Uh, happy, happy to to find a good match. So there's plenty of opportunity to meet the right to make the matchmaking for the mentors and the mentees. I love it. I love it. Okay, so we're learning from you. We want to learn who Christian is, right? So you said your wife is from the Boston area. Your accent for those listening is not a Boston accent. Help me understand. <laughs> help me understand your your background and and how yeah. you found your way. So I'm I'm uh, I'm originally from Munich, where you know I lived my first close to twenty years. Um, my my mom and my family is still there. Um, yeah, and and if you ask me who I am, I would probably say like I uh, deep in my heart I'm a Bavarian. So that's the that's the region, and you know that comes with you know wearing lederhosen and going to Oktoberfest and and stuff like that. So this is where this is where I grew up. Um, went partially to university, but then you know kind of embarked on the on the great journey of life. Uh, uh, studied in, in nearby Frankfurt, and and then you know uh, did a semester in the United, in the U.S. Uh, did a semester in France, and then uh, yeah went really to work for our, for startups uh and then for that went to uh to we worked in cologne worked in dusseldorf we moved as a family to sydney where we stayed for seven years and then uh, five years ago we actually ended up uh, coming here to boston when you were growing up as a bavarian boy when did you realize 
something was different. You were an entrepreneur. You weren't an employee. There's something more to you. So there's a, there's a funny thing. Well, first of all, my calendar as a kid, every single day was filled with outside school activity. So I was a boy scout. I was a, I played soccer. I was a referee. I was a coach. I did. I did jobs like I had every day to the dismay of my parents and to the dismay of my teachers because my grades weren't really great. But by now I probably had 50 jobs uh, and I loved it. I loved the the doing and the operational bit. I think that was maybe a first sign that I, I like, I was probably more like the speech smart guy and the operational guy than the academics guy. Um, the other thing is, I always loved the adventure. So, uh, speak languages, there'd be different cultures and, and that probably was a hint that I loved fast changing environments that have enough newness and that kind of, you know, quench the thirst for curiosity, adventure and growing. I always had, I always had this growth mindset of, I want to grow. And the the worst times of my life was when I had, I hit this glass ceiling and I had the feeling that I could not grow. So, and believe it or not, like I always believed I would somehow end up in the United States for some reason. I don't know. Uh, there's so many great things here in the U S and, and, and tech startups is only one. I worked in media before too. So probably it would have maybe ended up in a, in a film studio or something like that. But there were many great things here in the U.S. that that I thought, you know, the the Europe would not have, and I don't know for some reason I was destined to at some point live here and work here. Um, I love that that act of visualization, right? You see it, and it happens. But I'm certainly not going to let you go past that uh, glass ceiling. I know our listeners are as curious as I am. You hit that glass ceiling. Where were you? What was the circumstances around that, and how did you break through? So I'll give you a couple of examples, like being in Munich is a beautiful city. I love it. I know many of my friends, you know, you never, you don't have to move. There's plenty of opportunity there. Great environment, good quality of living. At some point it just felt I need to get out of here. I need to spread my wings. And I did so. That was a glass ceiling and it opened up a whole new range of opportunities, took risks. And frankly, it was probably also hard sometimes on my family because, you know, we moved like if I, if I'm just, if I'm just looking at the number of houses that we lived in or, or number of places that we lived in is probably 15 or so. Like my, my oldest is 21, uh, been in, you know, seven different schools, kindergartens, all of that stuff. So the pro a little harder on them, but like they also got exposed to a lot of different dimension and perspectives and cultures, which I'm really glad about, but it was not always easy. Sometimes I would be in a professional situation where I hit a glass ceiling of, you know, I, my craft is I'm the marketing guy, but I always wanted to understand the whole picture. So at some point in my founder group, we were four or five uh, co-founders all together and and I felt that, you know, I need to make that leap, maybe to become a CEO at some point or do some prove myself being that person that actually 
started something from scratch on my own and I coming here to the helped me to do that. And, 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 and frankly, it allowed me to get a perspective of, oh, there's many good things to this. I'm glad I did it. There's many bad things with this uh, too, as everybody here uh, can imagine of you figure out like, oh, you know, it's sometimes good to have a co-founder team that worked together for uh, over a decade and, you know, things are worked out. Uh, but again, like to our early on, like sometimes you need to take risk and sometimes you need to be, you need to be open to make mistakes and to figure that out and quench your thirst for newness and, and, and curiosity. And I did that. And I think being an entrepreneur allowed me to, to do that. But yeah, I had my share of uh, like glass ceilings and I had to break through this. And by now I'm actually good enough to realize that I need to change something. My demeanor, you could, I'm, you could probably read from my, from my face if I'm, if I'm not happy in a happy place. And then, yeah, my family helps me. My partners here help me uh, to do this. My team here helps me to do this, which is really awesome. I have a fantastic uh, team at Venturelane and a, and, and a fantastic partner at Venturelane Studio, Brian Denmark, who's also an EO member. So these people help me kind of realize this and, and kind of move on. <laughs> go, go around the glass ceiling or go through the glass ceiling. I love it. Go around it or through it. I love that. So what are you doing in your personal life? You mentioned you have a daughter who's 21. You know, you've got your your venture studio going where you uh, venture lane studio going where you um, are helping and, and doing a wonderful, wonderful thing for many, many folks. Uh, but what are you doing on, you know, when you're spending your private time, your personal time? So we're we're an interesting phase, like many others. Like we're we have three kids. Two are now kind of out of the door in college, and one is still at home. So there's still well, we just came back from Parents Weekend, which was great fun, and we we love hanging out with our kids. But yeah, listen, like I'm you know I I love I love skiing. I like sailing. I like being on the water. I love nature, and nothing makes me more happy than being on a top of a mountain or or being out in nature. We just, yesterday, we did a little drive up to New Hampshire, uh, looking at, at the foliage, which was beautiful. That kind of really gets me, uh, really is really joyful. And this summer, actually, I discovered a whole new passion, which is, uh, we've been down in Duxbury here, South Shore, the Boston folks would, would know it. And they're known to have like a really nice uh, area where you can, uh, go clamming and uh, mm. pick oysters. And so I got really big into oysters, reading everything up there. And I got these Zen moments of being out there, low tide, you stand out there in the mud, you're picking your jumbo oysters or your smaller oysters up and put it in your bucket. The tide comes in, it's, you know, the, the clouds are out there, the sun is shining, the smell of, salty as the salty air is out there and and then you 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 get out and you're open that oyster and it nothing is more fresh than uh, fresh sucked oysters right from the from the ocean so i got all entrenched into the idea of oysters learning everything about oysters the ecosystem where they where they uh, thrive and what to do and what to pick so that was the that was the latest yeah i love it i love it that's that's beautiful that's beautiful. So, Christian, <clears throat> if someone were to want to get a hold of you, and I know you've put yourself out there as someone who is willing to help folks, what is the best way for them to reach out to you? 
Well, obviously, all kind of channels, LinkedIn, Twitter, you'll find me under Christian Magel, M-A-G-E-L, or you can directly write me an email under christian.magel at theventurelane.com. So it's first name dot last name at theventurelane.com. And, you know, if you're in the EO network, reach out uh, to me through the EO Slack or or any other thing. So I'm I'm usually pretty good in responding. I might not have the time to go through all in depth, but I usually pretty good at following up with everybody and and help out. And by the way, that's that's always an if it's for for yourself or anybody that you know that is in that tech space and just needs a little advice or a little hint here and there. I always try to set aside a, a little bit of time in the week where I'm helping out just anybody who reaches out and 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 uh, who needs a little support and a little help. Wow. And folks, fear not, in your show notes, so you can link right through to Christian. Christian, thank you, my friend. This has been really, really amazing. I learned a lot. I, uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this with a lot of people because uh, you're a special guy. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Mark. And it's let me tell you, it's it's really special. I've been on the EO journey for for quite a while, and it's it, it's I'm still getting to know the Boston chapter, and you know I think it's a fan, such a fantastic environment that heightens your self awareness. So what you're doing, such a great job bringing everybody on the journey, on everybody else's journey. There's nothing else, and we all know this, than sharing your experience and people take away from it whatever they they want to do so thank you for providing that platform to share my experience and folks if you see christian go up and say hi now thank you yeah, all give me a hug. yeah big <laughs> hug big hug but i want to thank everyone for listening it's been it's been great thank you everyone if you learned something today or you laughed tell someone about this podcast share it with them thank you my friend christian i appreciate you very much thank you mark Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Secure Title. Secure Title helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Secure Title, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.